Hey folks, welcome to part three of the 30 people who define the MLB pro season. I'm solo again today, unfortunately. Uh, man Anon could not join me for the third piece of it, but that's okay. I'm going to try to do it inside today. It's freezing outside. It is windy. It is cold. It's like Georgia forgot that it was March or April 1st, excuse me. Uh, but we'll go ahead and get into this thing, right? As a rundown of who we have covered to this point, Bryce Harper, Garrett Schleck, Ronald Cook, Wander Franco, Mark Appel, Jamie Vega, Greg Bird, Clayton Kershaw, Fernando Tatis Jr., Lucas Giolito, Scott Radinsky, Nick Senzel, um, Rod Swift, and the Yankees outfield fence. Right now, we've also covered a number of different people in between here. There's a lot of discussion of cherry uh, players and other things like that, but that's the list of specific players we have discussed to this point. So we're going to go ahead and continue down this list. Right? I don't have the game access with me. So everything I'm going to be talking about today is going to be off of memory and off of Stats Plus, depending on how quickly I can get it to work as we go through it. But let's go ahead and launch into the first person on my list, and that is Toronto Blues outfielder Carol Curtis, 25-year-old right-handed left fielder uh, who will be essentially filling in over for Bryce Harper from last year. This is just such a big, I'm going to call it a hole because the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays are still very, very good. Uh, but it's such a big piece of this lineup to fill for such a young guy that I think his success or failure will be very, very interesting. It's also intriguing to me because Carol Curtis is yet to stick in a single team or with a single team for more than a year, right? He came up with 2018 with the Rays. Uh, it was Houston, excuse me. Um, came over to the Rays uh, for, what, 68 games. Played 99 games for the Rays in 2019. Was then traded to the Diamondbacks where he played 89 games. Uh, we had 264 with a 313 OBP with a 1.46 war. Then he will hit 12 home runs, stole 13 bases. Right, so He didn't do anything particularly well, but he also isn't going to kill you. He didn't strike out a ton. Uh, he didn't make a lot of mistakes you know, on the base pass and things like that. He plays pretty good defense. Um, excuse me. He plays very, very good defense at all three positions uh, across the board. So Carrick Curtis is a very good baseball player. He's a good, good fourth outfielder for a competitive team. The question is going to be, and I guess, you know, it'll, it'll come down to where the Blue Jays could play him, but is Carroll Curtis enough in this outfield to replace Bryce Harper's production over the last couple of years? And Bryce Harper you know, as dispensable as he may have seemed, considering the fact that if you go back to 20, early 2020, that, that Mitch has been, you know, kind of dangling him out there for the last couple of years, he's still a, a four or five war player, right? He was a, I mean, hell, he was a six war, six and a half, six point two four, seven point nine one for the from 2016 to 2018 in Toronto. Did not have a great 2019 season where he really posted a four war, but still very good. Uh, but a 4.66 war in 2020, now dropping under a player with 1.3. It's a three-win loss in a division that has an improving Red Sox team, an improving Orioles team, a just wild card of the Yankees team. Is that three-win drop from Carroll Curtis, or from Bryce Harper down to Carroll Curtis, is that going to be something that hurts you in the long run? I don't know, right? You still got to think the Toronto Blue Jays are the favorite to win the East. But I don't think it's a good sign for their their you know chances against the White Sox, 
or the Angels or the Mariners, even the Astros or, or the A's, right? Some of these teams in, in the playoffs that, that are, have hopes beyond the ALE. So Carroll Curtis will define this 2021 season for me because if he cannot boost himself to a level we have never seen before, the Blue Jays are going to take a hit in their production and potentially a loss of a couple of wins and, and maybe see themselves challenged for the American League East, definitely for, for the American League crown. Which, to be fair, they haven't won in the last couple of weeks. So, anyway, that is why I think he is an interesting piece. Right? Carol Curtis. Uh, let's move from the American League to the National League, and let's talk about a guy that, uh, you know, some of, the, some of these players that we've talked about have been because they may not be with their team um, at the end of the season. And, and this is a player who, in my opinion, may not be with the team he is currently with, and that is Jerks and Profar of the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Los Angeles Dodgers are a team, if you go back a couple of years, was in a really bad division. I mean, you know, the AL West was, was atrocious for a while. And, and in its atrocity, uh, if you will, the Dodgers took advantage of that. And they won 89 games in 2017. They won 89 games in 2018. And then suddenly... Somewhere in that range of, of that round, like the AL West flipped, and the NL West you'd be flipping to be a very good, good league. They went 93 games in 2019 and still finished in third place in the division, and then take a huge drop off the cliff from 93 wins to 76 wins in 2020, uh, with their their team average dropping, their team ERA going way up, and they missed the playoffs for the first time since 2016. So the Dodgers are now sitting in a division where they're staring up at two of the best teams in baseball, not just the National League, in the Diamondbacks and the Rockies, in the division with a Padres team that despite the fact that they made a couple of moves this offseason, still doesn't seem to be any good. The Giants are old for sure, but there are still some good pieces there. The Dodgers, in my opinion, are looking up at the, the rest of the, the leagues in this division. And if they can't get this thing together, what is the point of keeping – Jerkson profile on the team, right? He is significantly more well, uh, valuable to them as a trade piece than he is rotting away on a third or fourth place team in the National League West, right? Now, Jerry McDonald is a very, very exciting young piece for them. Obviously, Juan Soto is going to be one of the best baseball players in MLB Pro for years. Javier Garcia is very interesting on the infield for, for this team. There's some good young pieces here, but the rotation needs help. The bullpen needs help outside of the players I just mentioned. The rest of the team needs help. And there's not a ton out there. After they dealt with, you know, they don't Connor Pilkington. They don't a couple other guys. Uh, I mean, uh, Julio Urias was dealt from them last year. There's a couple other guys that have been moved as well. Jerson Profar could be the starting domino to fall for the Dodgers to hit reset on some of these older pieces. Maybe, maybe somebody like Jared Kosar gets dealt, right? Steve White, Tyler Pill, Lucio Cruzado. Um, to try to get younger, right? Because they're going to have to make a run at the Diamondbacks specifically. I mean, the, the Dodgers, the, the Rockies are spectacular, and they're not exactly old. But regardless, I think Profar is the guy, right? Profar, to me, is the canary in the coal mine, if you will, of what they're going to do. Now, for teams that are looking at him and they're looking at hey, what does Jerks and Profar bring to a team, the guy has been spectacular. 
right? He was a, a look. If you if you go back to 2016, it's eight WAR players, seven WAR player in 2017, six point two in 2018, 5.4 in 2019, three in 2020. So if you go strictly by WAR, he is absolutely falling off. He's coming off his worst season in a long, long time, hitting 233 last year, striking out a career high 159 times, uh, only hitting what 16 home runs, which is a low since 2015. So if he can bounce back a little bit. With what he brings on the table, I think you can deal Jerks and Profar, right, and get something back for him. He has a huge price tag on his head, $15 million. That's not that bad, actually, for a shortstop, and he is a switch hitter. I don't know, man. I think he's the one, right? I know that Sam would probably prefer to keep him. I'm sure that Sam believes in the Dodgers and believes in his team, but he's a guy to watch. And I think Jerks and Profar is going to define this season. He struggles out of the gate, and the Dodgers struggle out of the gate. He is dealt, in my opinion, to a contender shaping the National League West race into a two-team race and then redefining someone else's race wherever he ends up. So that is my jerks and profile take. Let's cross him off the list. And you know what? Let's stay in the National League West and let's talk about somebody. Uh, we'll go away from players for a second. We'll talk about um, a GM. All right. Let's talk about Ryan Buckles. Eddie Buckles is the brother i think i don't know largely silent last year right as uh, anonymous gm brought up yesterday i think that the covid lockdown had an effect on some people and how active they could be managing their teams what they were able to do because in a really bad season you didn't see the giants make a lot of moves right and i would have loved to have seen them try to deal off a couple of pieces last year because this team just isn't it's interesting how, how fast they fell because they won the division in 2019 with 98 wins, right? And even before that, the year before that, 2018, they won 87 games. And they won 98 in 2019. This is a team that probably should have been competitive. But in 2020, despite increasing their payroll, what, $13 million, 71 wins, fell off a cliff. Their expected record was actually worse. They were only expected to win 67 games with largely the same core. They hit 30 points lower on the average, right? Their ERA went up almost a half point. They finished $23 million in debt. This is just not a great situation for the Giants. So if I am the Giants front office, looking at what I'm up against here, it's time to, it's time to sell, right? Probably Opardo will still get you a massive return. Um, you know, Buster Posey might be able to flip him to somebody. Candid Miles is probably interesting. Bob Carlisle has been officially put on the block. There's enough pieces here. They're all very old. Enough pieces here to, to really interest some people and, and get some pieces back because the, the farm system's bare. There's nothing there. And to me, if Ryan Buckholes can be present this year and sell and maybe set the market as opposed to letting the market dictate what he will get and what he's going to go after, I think it's a very interesting piece to look at. Because I think Buckholes can set the market how he wants and dictate the kind of return that we're going to get much away. Uh, much in a way, excuse me, that the, the Braves did a couple of years ago when they set the Armando Cabanas trade, started setting the way for the massive blockbuster deals, which have now been restricted, right? Well, you see when you make that first deal is you set the market for the rest of the deals to come this year. And I think Ryan Buckholz could be the person that sets the market for the league. So watch out for the Giants. I think he is somebody who defines the 2021 season, not because of anything the Giants do on the field, but because the Giants define the trade market early on uh, and we see where it goes from there. Cruising right along, 
Let's go to who else did I have already pulled up? Let's go to the National League East. And let's talk about somebody who, if you're a, a baseball fan, if you're an MLB pro fan, the name Ed Palmer definitely hits home for you because he's somebody that kind of came out of nowhere, right? He is a uh, 28-year-old catcher who made his debut in 2018 for 14 games, but really didn't burst onto the scene until last year in 2019, out of nowhere. Uh, if I recall correctly, Ed Palmer's history here, he was cut. I'm pretty sure he was released from the Braves organization uh, in 2015, was signed after being drafted in, 20, in the 16th round in 2014. He was released. He was signed by the Nationals in their minor league system, figured it out somewhere along the line, and then posted an all-star season last year, borderline MVP season with a seven-war season uh, in 2019. Excuse me, not 2020. Posting a seven-war season, hitting 300, the 400 OBP, 26 home runs. You know, he, he was awesome. Um, and in 2020, he came back to the earth a little bit. He'll still push the three-war season, which is, is good for a catcher, but his average dropped to 230. He still had 24 home runs, so the power was still there. Still plays good defense, so they were right about there. But Ed Palmer's a guy that I've heard rumors about potentially being moved. Now, the price tag is not cheap, right? He's not a a cast off from Washington by any stretch of the imagination, but Washington is sitting in a place where they do have 25 year old Devin Lewis, who is right now sitting in the majors alongside Ed Palmer. Uh, he only played 19 games last year, but was very good, had a good spring. I think they believe Devin Lewis is the future. And Ed Palmer is a guy that is potentially expendable now where he wasn't before. So Ed Palmer defines this season to me because the Nationals have the thought process. Wait, was it soccer? The, they have the thought process that they are going to be competitive this year. I think some people on the outside think that the Nationals are going to be one of the teams that potentially push for a wild card spot in the National League. And if somebody's going to push the Mets, which I don't think everybody will, but it's fun to play pretend, the Nationals are one of the teams that can do that, right? So – if Ed Palmer comes out of the gate and just mashes the ball, he pushes Devin's clock or Devin Clark's. Who knows who are. He pushes the hold on. He pushes Devin Clark's clock back a little bit, uh, or he gets dealt because they're both hot. And, and who knows what the Nationals are able to, what kind of holes they're able to fill in their lineup and their rotation. So I, yes, sweetheart. I'm hungry. Okay, I'll get you some food in a second. All right. So I'm not able to finish all of these. As you can see, I am now under attack to be feeding a child. But Ed Palmer defines the season that he's dealt. Or he hits really well, and more likely he's dealt. And what does he bring back to Washington? What holes does he fill in this team uh, to make them a more complete team to potentially challenge for the National League East? Moving to the American League, let's talk about a guy who is on a team that likely won't contribute too much this season. But I think, as Anonymous and I kind of alluded to yesterday, is a sneaky up-and-coming team. That's the Detroit Tigers. And we're going to talk about Xavier Noonan, um, the guy who Detroit is essentially modeling their rebuild around, right? He is somebody who – did he even see the – no, he never saw the majors in Atlanta, did he? Um, he came over – he came from New York to Atlanta and then Atlanta to New York to Detroit last year. Then he played in 44 games in Detroit, posted almost a full war. It's 233, last eight home runs over 44 games, right? So some good power projections here. Noonan's a capable guy. His 
downfall has historically been his personality. He's just difficult to get along with. This defense isn't exactly spectacular, um, you know, depending on what you're looking for out of a third baseman. He has a little bit of a range mobility. Uh, he can play first, but he's going to strike out a ton. Xavier Noonan is a guy that the Detroit Tigers are really – yes, I don't know what I was thinking when I released Palmer. Um, Xavier Noonan is a guy that's going to define this Tigers rebuild because they're not supposed to compete this year. Right, uh, they are not planning to compete this year, but I think they're going to be better than even Jim believes that they can be. And if Xavier Newton comes out firing the way that Jim believes he can with some of the young pieces around him, it's potential, or it's possible, excuse me, that, that the Tigers' rebuild clock accelerates to that 2022 season as opposed to 2023, which I think is realistically when Jim is thinking. So if he contributes and he is going and he is hitting the ball and everything looking good, does Detroit start looking at some of these pieces that we've talked about as trade pieces? Does they start looking at a guy like Jerks and Profar? Start looking at a guy like Ed Palmer? Start looking at a guy like Garrett Schlecht, right? Some of these pieces that wouldn't necessarily be in his wheelhouse now, but with the farm system he's got, the number one pick coming up, uh, and a couple other things, Jim could very easily make a move to get an all-star caliber player at a place of need and have a guy like Noonan to anchor this lineup should he be able to hit. So that's why I think he defines this season because he could turn the Tigers into a buyer at the deadline. Uh, and maybe they flip Jason Hayward or maybe try to resign him for another year. I don't know. Um, but we'll see, right? So I think that's an interesting piece. Um, how long have I been going? 17 minutes. Shit. Well, now somebody's running on my door, so I'm going to end it there. Um, yeah.